Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. If someone in the back could close the door, that would be great. Thanks, Annie. Um, so uh, I thought I'd talk today about uh, a topic that we don't really uh, talk very much about at the church. And it sounds like a controversial topic, but it's not. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, in being an environmentalist and an Orthodox Christian and how those two relate to one another. Um, so I think many Orthodox Christians would be surprised to learn that their faith calls them to be environmentalists, stewards of the world, stewards of the environment. So um, can we keep the door closed, please? Can we keep the door closed? Can we keep the door closed, please? Thank you. So we're used to, in our spiritual lives, we're used to worrying about dishonesty and anger and fornication and judgment and condemning other people and all those things. Um, and when we think about our life in Christ, but we rarely think about conserving, recycling, composting, um, these, these types of, of activities as a part of our orthodoxy, as a part of our Christianity. And the, the, reason, the reason this becomes important isn't so much because of the, the recycling and the composting and all of this stuff, but rather it's because we have to view the world as an icon. We view the world the way God gave it to us, right? And so our orthodox concept of, of how we see earth and how we see matter and how we see material things is very relevant, okay? Sam, could you do me a favor and tell him just to yeah, head this way? Um, and, and, and maybe that's because we only view worship as, as you know, being in, in, the, in the church, right? In the temple of the church, and that's where the worship is, right? But when you look at the saints of old, right? St. Anthony, you know, when, you asked, uh, when he was asked by these philosophers, how did you learn so much? He said, just look around. Just look at the earth. Look at the world. Right. The creator, his, his signature is in it. Right. It's kind of like when you when you read a, 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 an author, a novelist. Right. And you read several of their books. After a while, someone says, oh, do you know this author? Oh, I know her. I love her. Have you met her? No. But I know her. Right. I know the way she thinks. I know the way she writes. I know I know everything about her. Why? I saw it from what came out of her hands. An artist, same way. I know this artist. I feel what this artist feels. So St. Anthony would tell you, I just watch the ants. I watch the bees. I watch the sunset. I, I watch the way God made the world, right? And I can learn about God from his creation, right? And you know, you, you kind of, you, you see this even in children, right? You'll have two children, siblings even, and one will paint something and it's organized and it's neat and it's structured and it's perfect and everything's in the things, right? And then the other kid, it's a mess and the head's on the, on the foot and there's a body of a giraffe and you just look at the two and you can see what's inside, right? So our faithfulness to the Lord isn't just spiritual. It's also not just escaping from the world, right? But being a part of it and taking care of it. So in Genesis, I'll read you the very beginning. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Who's the our in this? 
The Bible says, Genesis 1, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's the hour? The Trinity. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. And here's the key part. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so this, this command in Genesis 1, right? I, I stopped reading it. It's a call to stewardship, right? It's requiring humans to be responsible for the creation. God gave us the creation. He gave us, we're part of the creation. And we are the crown of this creation. And he gave us this, this duty, right? It isn't, it isn't really ours. It's a stewardship, right? And you know, you all know the word stewardship means I'm going to let you deal with something that isn't yours. And I'm going to let you have um, uh, dominion over it, but it's not yours. And that's the way the earth is. And it's also linked with the concept of, of, of theosis, deification, being a partaker of divine nature, whatever you want to say, that, that man takes participation with with God in divine things God created the world and God takes care of the world correct God takes care of the world well I'm in his image in his likeness I'm a partaker of his divine nature if he takes care of the world and I'm his nature and I'm his image and I'm his likeness shouldn't I do the same would would it be consistent that God take care of the world and create systems that are so intricately balanced and so beautiful where you have a river that has a snow melt that these animals drink from and this ecosystem that when you study these ecosystems, it's mind boggling how everything hangs in the balance, you know, and the mosquitoes have a role, right? And then we come along and say, I'm just going to throw a can of, you know, oil into this river and kill everything that drinks from it just because I don't want to put it in the whatever bin. Is it consistent that my God makes something beautiful and then I come along as his image, his son, and go, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to piss all over it. It doesn't work. Okay. So we're called to exercise dominion over the creatures of the earth for sure and to be stewards of the world, of God's material and taking care of it, maintaining its integrity and perfecting it by opening it up. Um... Okay, I'm going to skip that part. Um, and, and part of this is, is, is more relevant for Orthodox Christians than you would imagine. So when I actually did some research about this, when you look at the different Christian religions, uh, the Orthodox have the strongest stance on the environment, more so than the Catholics and certainly more so than, than the Protestants, which is interesting. And it, and it comes back to this, this idea of a Eucharistic life that we have. Right? Because in orthodoxy, more so than in Protestantism, we take things that are material and we bless and use them. Okay? So uh, we'll take, you know, obviously the obvious example, we'll take bread and wine and we'll say, now the bread and the wine will give blessing. So we use God's material, the earth, material things, as a source of blessing. That's why we completely reject the notion that material things are evil or the body is evil or things are bad. No such thing, right? We will use what God gave us. We'll take oil, we'll bless the oil, and then we'll use the oil to bless people, 
right? So the material thing of God becomes the source of blessing, right? So, and even in the, in the act of the Eucharist, we take what is God's, we take the creation, we take matter, and we offer it back to God, right? Kind of like Cain and Abel did, right? They took the, the first fruits of what God gave them and offered it back to God, right? So the earth to us becomes a part of this mystery, right? A part of this Eucharist, right? Where the earth is a, is a, is a part of what we offer back to God. Okay. So there's this link between human beings and God and human beings and each other. And so we bring nature into communion with God and we sanctify nature, right? Um, okay. I'm just, I'm saying things and I'm reading what I actually read and then what I wrote and it's different. Okay. Um, and so this is kind of the heart of the relationship between the environment and the human being because the human being is linked to every other human being, right? We talked a lot about this. When I take communion, right, I become a part of the body of Christ. And when you take communion, you become a part of the body of Christ. And so transitive property, I become a part of you. Right. And so you and I, even though you may be in another country, in another century, we are now linked in the body of Christ. Okay. So part of that linking, right, is us taking care of each other. Right. I see you at church. I ask about you. How are you doing? How are the kids? If I hear you're in trouble, I go and I help out. If I hear you have some issues, you want to talk, I'm there for you. Right. But part of that is bigger. Right. It isn't just the people at St. Paul's or the people in the Coptic Orthodox Church or the Christians or even the people on earth, but all of the people in all of the different ways that I can help them. Right. And so for me, for example, I'm just going to keep going back to my my example. Right. If I go and I poison a river. Right. Because it's cheaper for me to poison the river than it is for me to pay the money to properly dump whatever toxic uh, waste is there. And people get sick, and you, you hear about this, right? A corporation will go, and they'll pollute the, the, the water table, and then the people who live in that area, you know, start getting cancer one after the next, right? That, that idea, even though it's, um, I mean, it's horrendous, but, but the idea isn't just, you know, it's not nice to do, but if we're linked as the body of Christ, can I do that to someone else, right? Can I, can I hurt someone else just by trying to cut a corner, just by trying to save some money, Right? Just by not really caring, right? And part of it is, is, is my feeling towards everyone else. It's part of my worship, right? As I offer to Christ, as I offer to Christ, I offer to each of you. And what I offer to each of you is not just a lending ear or a cup of coffee or help if you need it, but I offer to you what I can. In every way I can do it. Right? And so again, it comes back to this Eucharistic life in Orthodoxy where the environment is a part of the, of, the, of the material world that we're called to be stewards of, but each other, all of us are part of each other and we're all ca called to take care of each other. Um, okay, and so Christ frees us from the self-centeredness that we live, right? And, and, and that's why we do these good works for others, right? And so part of our Christian experience isn't just being freed from self-centeredness, you know, at home, I like it like this and she likes it like that. Okay, I'll concede my will for him or for her, right? But giving up my self-centeredness also for all the people around me, right? Even if it doesn't affect, I can't see it directly, it's still my offering to everyone around me. 
right? So I want to do good works for others. And one way I can do good works for others is to save the environment in a way that blesses other people's lives, right? And so we do this out of uh, a personal love for the natural world, right? And we see this in the saints. The saints love nature, right? They, they go and they feel God's presence there, right? It's his handiwork, you know? And I imagine it being akin to, you know, someone writing a beautiful icon, okay? And I look at the icon and, you know, I, I, I take some paint and I just splatter it on the icon. And the iconographer stands there and goes, why'd you do that? And I'm like, well, I didn't do anything to you. I just paint splattered all over your icon. It's like, but that's, that's my icon. I wrote that. You know, I did that. And you're like, yeah, but I didn't do anything to you, did I? I love you, but let me just spit on your icon. It doesn't fit. It doesn't work, right? And so the, the world being the icon right, that, that God has given us, we can't just spit on it and, and treat it in, in a disgraceful way. And even asceticism, the monks teach us this, right, the way they lived. You know, there's a movement in the United States, minimalism, right? There's a lot of people out there, they, they, they take this to an extreme, but they, they want to be minimalistic. They want their footprint to be minimalist. They want their, you know, their carbon footprint to be minimalist, the way they eat to be minimalist. There's, there are people out there who go a little crazy, I'll give it to you. Dumpster, dumpster diving, have you heard about this yet, right? So they go to New York, they go to the nice restaurants, and they like, I live on the garbage that these places throw away, right? And I have a lot of money, you know? But that's just how I'm going to live. And it's part of their rebellion against the, the excess materialism that's in the United States in particular, right? And they, 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 they eat out of the trash, right? So maybe that's a, that's a bit extreme. But the concept of living very simply, just what I need, this is very orthodox. It's very monastic, right? When you look at the monks and the way they lived and the way they interacted with nature, right? The way they would share their food with animals. Lots of monks did this, right? They would save some and then someone said, well, what are you saving that for? They're like, well, there's a, there's a few wolves that come by every once in a while and I like to feed them because they just had babies, right? That, that touch with nature, right? And we hear about all kinds of wild animals that were not wild with the monks, that would love the monks, that instead of attacking monks, would protect monks or serve monks, right? Again, you see this restoration of harmony, right? Because when God created man, he gave him dominion over these animals. He told them to name the animals, right? And so when I read a story about Saint Barsuma, who lived with a, a ferocious snake, right? It's not just a story, right? It's more than a story. Right? Because what it's basically saying is this saint returned to the state of Adam before the fall. He reached a level of purity where he had, he was like Adam before the fall, before sin. Right? Animals didn't attack humans until after the fall, until after sin. Before that, man lived in harmony with animals. Right? So this ascetic life even is a very simplistic, it's a very eco-friendly to use, you know, today's buzzwords. Uh, type of life. And the monks practiced this, right? Where they wouldn't eat more than they needed. They wouldn't grow more than they needed. They wouldn't take from the land more than they needed, right? It was, it was beautiful because their life, it was in harmony with God. You know, as we can see today, many human beings have become tyrants, right? Of, and, and they behave like, you know, materialistic tyrants, trying to take and consume as much as they possibly can. 
right? And if we treated, you know, other people's personal property the way sometimes we treat the environment, I mean, you'd, you'd go to jail, right? I mean, if I took from you something you owned and, and abused it in such a way that no one else could use it, right? You'd, you'd probably file a lawsuit, you'd probably call the police, right? But yet we, can, we feel at liberty to do that with the environment in a way that, that's odd as, a, as, a, as, as an Orthodox Christian, right? So the materialism that's in the United States in particular, but in many places of the world, it's a take, 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 consume, 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 throw it away, you know, disposable society that we've moved into, right? We even see this with the youth, right? In, in the way they get married, in the way they treat one another, people have become disposable, right? Even, you know, a vacuum cleaner, right? If a vacuum cleaner breaks, no one thinks to fix a vacuum cleaner, right? You just throw it out and get another one at Costco, right? And so the whole world has become this disposable type thing where we're just extracting from the environment uh, in a way that, you know, and, and I'm not saying this is haram or forbidden or it's just not the right, it doesn't feel right, right? If my view of the earth is, is the way it should be. So I find it strange that a, a Christian could make a case for pollution. I find it strange that Christians will stand up and say, we don't need to be environmentalists. And I find it strange that the, that the issue environmentalism is, you know, somehow associated with tree huggers and left wing nut jobs and, you know, the, 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 the commie pinko nut jobs out in the, in the left, right? They're the environmentalists and all the Christians are not. That's strange to me, right? That why is this not our issue? Why isn't this something we're concerned about? So to be fair, I'll talk about some of the cons of environmentalism, uh, arguments that are being made against in the environment. One argument uh, is that the current environmental trials, whether it be global warming, fires, uh, you know, polluted rivers, polluted water sources, are signs of the end of days and that Jesus is coming soon, and they believe the earth is going to be destroyed anyway. So why focus on the earth? Um, and, they, and, and the concept is it's more important to evangelize people than it is to save the earth. So this is an argument, literally an argument made by Christians to say why I don't care about the environment. I care about people, right? But of course, I, I think we see the holes in, in these things, right? If I really care about people and people depend on the environment and whether it be the topsoil or the clean water or whatever, right, it's very difficult to make the argument, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I love you, but I'm just going to poison your water, right? It just doesn't, just doesn't fit. Um, another perspective teaches that the world is a home created by the Lord. And man is uh, a steward of the created world, but not intended to worship nature, but to worship God, the one creator. And, uh, and so in light of this, some, some people say environmentalists are too focused on the world, on the living world. And this is something I'll, I'll talk about, right? Where the living world becomes the, the thing that, that I'm really focused on and not God behind the living world, right? If I, if I scatter paint on this icon, I don't disgrace the icon. It's just wooden paint. I disgrace the man who wrote this icon. Does that make sense? So if the iconographer is standing here and I throw paint on his, I disgraced him, okay? You can't say you disgraced the icon. Ah, it's an icon, right? We'll, we'll get another one, okay? 
couple hundred bucks and it's over, right? But it's the person who did it, you know? It's like when someone, you know, draws something beautiful and you do it right in front of them and you tear it up, right? A, a piece of art that they did. It's like, well, now you're just, you're going after me, right? Okay. Um, okay, so, so, uh, Okay, so I'll, and I'll, I'll talk about these. So in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the hymns and the psalms of the church, we praise and talk about nature a lot. Like during Pesha week, the litanies, if you notice, how many things do we ask for about the, the seeds and the herbs and the rivers and the winds and the fruits? And we're constantly praying about nature. In Tezbeha, we say Psalm 148, praise the Lord, sea monsters, deeps, fire, hail, snow, frost, stormy wind, mountain hills, fruit trees, cedars, cedars, right? So the, 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 the Psalms and the Tezbeha are full of praising of nature, right? In fact, one of the, one of the, the, the hosts is just one thing after the next talking about praise God in fire, praise God in snow, praise God in dew, praise God, all the, 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 the winged creatures, all the beasts that roam the earth, all the fish in the sea. What are we doing in Tazbeha? We're praising not the icon, but the person who wrote the icon. And we praise the person who wrote the icon through the icon. So I can stare at this icon and say, that's so beautiful. Who am I, who am I complimenting? The creator. Right? And so when I look at the earth and I meditate it, which is a very important spiritual practice, who am, I, who am I meditating on? Meditating on the creator. St. Basil has this beautiful passage where he just says, just look at the face. You know, how, how he put the nose right next to the mouth so that you could smell right before it went into your mouth and that you could see right before you put anything in your mouth and how the eyebrows cover the sweat that gets in and the eyelashes protect from the dust and all the subtlety. This is St. Basil talking, admiring the creation. He's really admiring the creator through the creation. Okay. Um, Okay, so does this mean that I'm supposed to follow a, a particular political party? And um, the church never gets involved in politics. That's not our job, right? The church does not exist to serve secular ends, even the noblest of secular ends. That's not the church's role, right? The church has one role. We send, we take, we want people to find Christ and go to heaven and find God in their lives. That's the only thing the church does. That's it. Anything that's not that is outside of the scope of the church. So it can't be a vehicle for putting out a message, right, of environmental movement or any other movement, right? That's not what the church is called to do. It's not supposed to be a platform, right? The clergy member doesn't come up here and use it as, use the pulpit as a, you know, as a way to promote a particular proposition or agenda or party or, or uh, politician, right? That's not the, that's not the role. Um, and the church, you know, you have to understand that the church can never make an issue such as protection of the environment or social justice central to its preaching because we're called to seek the kingdom of heaven first. Right? So these, these issues, as important as they are, are tangential issues, right? They're, if you will, a consequence of a life lived with God. It's a natural outcome, 
right? It's, it's, it's something that just comes out of the life, but it isn't the central focus of what the church does. We seek first the kingdom of God, and the Bible very clearly tells us, Christ says, my kingdom is not of this world. So we're not out to preserve the world as a goal in and of itself, right? Because that removes God from the equation, right? When my only objective is I have to save this earth, well, then all the things I talked about earlier really don't come into play, right? I don't see myself as a steward of the earth as God made me. I don't see myself as linked with all of you. And, and in a way for me to love all of you, I protect the environment. I don't see the environment as the handwriting of my father. And so as to honor my father, I will honor his handwriting. If it says, I got to save this world, right? That, that isn't the objective of a Christian. Okay, so what we're talking about here is the goal as a Christian. Politics is the process by which a government executes these goals and reasonable people can disagree, right? So, for example, feeding the homeless, feeding needy people, needy people having food. This is an objective of everyone, right? If you don't, if you don't care about the poor, then you don't, you don't have blood going through your veins, right? You're, you're really, you're not even a human being. Right? If you can see your brother starving and not care, then you're not really all that human yet. Okay? But so the way what now that I think is just clear across humanity, right? Now where do politics come in? How does the, the, the state of California decide how this person gets fed? Right? So, you know, the 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 Demo the, the Republican Party will say, well, we wanna we want people to do it and private in private uh, industry to do it, so we'll enable private practice to feed those people and we'll give them tax breaks and we'll help them out so that private people can do it. Okay, that's kind of the Republican approach. The Democratic approach says, no, this is too important of a task. We have to do it ourselves and we have to take care of ourselves and we have to do it. Okay, that's politics, right? Which one's more effective? Which one gets more of the money to the people who need it the most? I don't know. I don't care, right? As a Christian, that's not really my objective, right? As a Christian, my objective is I can't see my fellow man hurting in any way and sit still. Right? And not because I want to end homelessness. Okay? Again, my kingdom isn't of this world. Right? I'm not going to end homelessness. None of us are going to end homelessness. You can do whatever you want. It's not going to end. Christ promised us. Right? Didn't he say? The, the poor you'll always have. Right? So, as, as a Christian, my objective isn't political. Right? Well, we have to solve the... Let the politicians worry about that. My objective is I have to serve Christ in this man or this woman or this child. Right? Regardless of whether or not they deserve it, whether or not, regardless of whether or not, well, you know, if I give him money, he's just going to buy booze anyway. That's not your call. Right? You need to serve and love regardless. Right? Now, the politicians can argue what's the best approach for the county of, you know, for Orange County to, to tackle this problem and should we open a shelter or should we do a jobs program? That's politics, right? And they can debate that and what's the most effective way and, you know, based on pros and cons and public health and other issues that they're dealing with, they're going to figure that out. That's not my job as a church or as a Christian, right? My job is to love my neighbor as myself. So cute. Okay. So the, the, the work of the church cannot be seen as some 
theological distraction from the real work of saving the environment and stopping pollution and blah, blah, blah. That's the real job of the church. And this, this Jesus stuff is on the side, right? But the real work is, is no, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a perversion of the way the church needs to work, right? That can't be the way that the church, the church's focus should never be distracted from Christ and bringing people to God. Right? Anything other than that is outside of the scope of the church. It's not a bully pulpit for which you announce things. And so the, the urgency of environmental problems should never be allowed to obscure the church's cosmic perspective. Right? We are not of this world. Okay? Um, and so this is the potential danger here when we take up political issues. And I'm going to end with a nice quote from Alexander Schmemann here in a second is that we have to guard against even God's creation, the creation he looked upon and saw that it was very good, risks becoming an idol. So the creation of God can become an idol if we cherish it and value it apart from him. Does that make sense? We can't let the environment or any other topic or even poor people become an idol that we worship above God. Right? And sometimes I think this is what some Christians react to, right? You've made the environment above God. So this is a, a wonderful quote by Alexander Schmemann. Man has loved the world, but as an end in itself and not as transparent to God. That's the problem. The natural dependency of man upon the world was intended to be transformed constantly in the communication with God in whom is all life. So my connection with the earth is always communication with God, right? When I see a butterfly flying, I don't think to myself, oh, well, I'm glad that we have this program that saves butterflies, right? Or some governmental agency that, you know, that, that pot. No, I see God. I see God's touch in the butterfly. And at that moment, I praise God and I admire God. Once the butterfly becomes the goal, I have to save these butterflies now I'm worshiping an idol. Now I've taken God out of the equation. Does that make sense? And that becomes the problem. When we see the world as an end in itself, everything becomes itself a value and consequently, consequently loses all value because only in God is found the value of everything. And the world is meaningful only when it is a sacrament of God's presence, an icon of God's presence. The world of nature cut off from the source of life is a dying world. I mean, to, to go back to the butterfly, you know, we save this butterfly. Well, you know, that species is going to die anyway, right? In fact, we're all going to die, right? And the world will end and there'll be a second coming. And if this species doesn't die this year, it may die in another few years. And who knows, another species may turn out. Right. So the end in of itself is, oh, do you know how many different, you know, animals used to exist and now there's less and we have to, then they become an idol. Does that make sense? So that's the distinction. But in doing so, we can't lose our understanding of us being stewards of the earth. Right. And that as a Christian, I have to, 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 to tread lightly, right. As Christ treaded lightly. Right? And only eat what I need, take what I need, consume what I need, and not go into this materialistic world that we're, we're seeing uh, in, uh, in spades here in the United States. Did anybody else, anybody have any uh, questions or comments, thoughts? Sadness, happiness, joy, anger, tired? Tired's good, it's always tired.
You can always agree on tired. Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. We'll stand and pray really quick.